Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. I'm John Stevens, and you are Matt Russell Matt still. <laughs> still. <laughs> still. And last week was Easter. It was. What did you do for Easter? You know, I got up early and uh, I watched you preach. Did you really? I, did. I got up early and watched you preach. <laughs> I think I liked your sermon a little better. <laughs> I don't know. I thought yours was excellent. <laughs> I sat in my front lawn with my wife and I had a cup of coffee. And it was really, it was really odd. You know, for it was odd. 25 years or whatever ministry I've known where I'm going to be. And to be sitting on my front lawn in a pair of shorts listening to you preach was wonderful and odd. Not, not only, I guess, in 1989, I was a youth director. I started as a youth director at a church. So I would say as a job, I have been not only at church on Easter every year of my life, but was participating well, participating <laughs> in some way, helping lead worship, doing a prayer, yes. doing something, or preaching. And I've never missed an Easter. And I, yes. I would say even beyond that, I was very involved in church growing up. I can never remember, I can't remember ever missing an Easter. I'm sure maybe we did. And so, and I've heard this from so many people um, say, you know, just, I think that's the surreal part of the the grieving process was. But yet at the same time, there were so many ways that people were intersecting and to see uh, the little video of people saying he is risen and oh, great. Uh, in, in their homes and their yards are, are out for a ride yeah. and they're convertible, yeah. you know, with their masks on or all this <laughs> and to know that, you know, Jesus is not limited by the fact that we weren't able to physically gather yeah. together. Yeah. And I love the term, I can't remember who said it, but even though we are not able to physically gather together, it does not it doesn't change at all the spiritual communion That's right. that the body of Christ has. Amen. And we were still connected, Amen. even though it was a very different way. So I think it's going to be a marker in in our existence, mm. you know, that, yeah. that COVID Easter yeah. of 2020. You know, I was, I was thinking um, this week too, is like when Paul talks about when he's writing those letters and he's, he says, I long to be with you. Like, I never got that until now, in yeah. a sense, you know, it's like, I, I, we're doing, I think we're doing the most creative job of anything I've seen, you know, and it's connective and it's beautiful. And every time, like on Good Friday, when we were together, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and, and reading the scripture, I, I'm also really cognizant of the absence of people and this deep longing I have to be back in with folks, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's the, it's the both and that's like, there's a beauty to it. And it's like, ah, uh, I'm done. Yeah, I took, a, <laughs> I took a picture while we were filming worship last yeah. week, just of the congregation, you know, the, the empty pews. <laughs> and so many people were like, you know, I can't wait to be back in, in, yeah. in my seat yeah. or my area yeah. over there. Somebody said there, you were sitting in their seat. I you think know? I was sitting in their seat. <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, I was in their seat. Their seat. <laughs> you know, one of the things, you know, last week we talked to Dr. Mark Boom, who is the president and CEO of Methodist Hospital. Today we get to visit with um, the reverends Bob Kidd, uh, who is 
the head of all the spiritual care at Methodist Hospital mm-hmm. System, which is eight campuses and all of the spiritual care that goes on there. And Reverend Stacy Ald, who is head of spiritual care and education at the main campus, Houston Methodist at Texas yeah. Me- Medical Center. Yeah. And I'm telling you what, I've gotten to know these two through the years. I've got to spend some time with Bob and just uh, talk about mm-hmm. what we're reading and, and how this stuff happens. It's fascinating what they do. Yeah. And I don't think people realize the scope because they, you know, you think a chaplain just goes in and visits a patient, but I'm always amazed at the level of work on with the staff and with the community and with the families mm. and even decisions that they make, end of life decisions, ethics, ethical decisions yes. with the doctors and the nurses and the families all together. Yeah. It's fascinating the work that they do. Yeah. Yeah. They're standing in a gap right now that I think is increasingly becoming more important. And as we kind of hear stories about folks that cannot be with their loved ones at end of life, these are the folks that are showing up. These are the folks that are, um, that are praying, that are, that are being the hands and feet of both loved ones and of Christ in this time. It's they're amazing folks. Well, I think there's a lot to learn from them. Mm. And I think there's Amen. a lot for us to be encouraged by them, but also I think to find ways where we can pray for them yes. and be supportive yes. of them. Yeah. How are you two holding up? I'm, I'm doing well. I think for me, having the routine of being able to come into work every day has personally allowed me to stay kind of grounded and focused mm-hmm. and feeling like I have purpose, feeling like I'm yeah. I'm doing something to contribute to all of this. So that's been helpful. My little one who's four and a half, he still, he goes to the Houston Methodist Child Care Center and they've remained open because they support um, people who work here in the hospital. So yeah. that has allowed him to stay in his routine and things like that. So I feel like I'm I'm doing okay. And especially this week, it feels like in a strange way that we've almost kind of normalized a little bit of this new way mm. of living in the hospital that it doesn't feel as chaotic anymore for me this week. Well, good. You know, uh, I appreciate you asking. Uh, thank you really seriously for asking about us. I got to say as an extrovert, uh, this has been very difficult for me. I did. I really didn't realize until this evolved, how critically important my interpersonal connections and my ability like to go shopping, go to a movie, go out to dinner with friends. I had, I was not aware of how critical that was to my emotional well-being and my coping. And I really have noticed for me, um, it's harder to, to my, my fuse is a little bit shorter because I don't have that padding that I'm used to. But, um, you know, like everything else, it's learning. Well, so one of the things we talked about on the email, uh, and we're just, just so you know, we're just talking. There's mm-hmm. no, uh, nothing else. That's all the podcast is anyway, I figured out. It's just fancy talking and they record it. <laughs> and then edit and it then, really and well. And then they cut it back down and they make <laughs> us look really smart at the end of this thing. So that's how it works in case you were wondering. But um, what are you finding? You, you guys are both seasoned chaplains at Methodist Hospital and you, you, you've been doing your jobs for a while and a high level. And what, I know one of the things, you know, like the, the, the access to patients is very limited. I mean, even folks who have family members in the hospital, they're not able to visit them. But what, what are you finding the challenges of this for you as a chaplain? But also, you know, in talking with 
family members or those who'd be, who would be going to the hospital or their family members. How are you seeing this working out and, and what kind of advice are you giving people or helpful ways to, to go about? This is so different for all of us. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll speak first a little bit about patient care experience because I think Bob and I would agree that our um, kind of scope of ministry is both patient and family, and then it's mm. also staff care. And there's a whole lot of oh, things yeah. we're doing to try to support our staff right now. Um, but I'll speak a little bit to the changes that we've had to deal with here with as far as patient care goes. Um, you know, we, in the beginning, when we, as this thing kind of just started rolling out so fast, we were trying to do our best to follow the guidance of our administration about what they needed us to do. We learned very quickly that they saw us as essential people here to be in the hospital, which we were grateful for. They feel like this is our support here is part of the fabric of our of our storied history as a faith-based hospital. And so they wanted our chaplains to be here, but we are also mindful that we wanted to conserve PPE and not use those things that the the healthcare workers that needed to get bedside needed to do. So we quickly had to figure out how to start doing ministry in different ways. So mm-hmm. it sounds so simple, but just doing telechaplaincy over a phone yeah. has been a big shift for us. Um, so we are still allowed to do face-to-face visits in patient rooms that are in areas that are no COVID suspected patients or COVID positive patients. So that's still happening. Us being able to do some face-to-face visit with patients that don't have family visitors here because of our restrictions. And so that that's helpful for them. But um, either the COVID suspected or COVID positive patients or anybody in isolation, we are um, mainly shifting our focus to, to call families at home. And what we learned really quick was that the hospital kind of gave the families a um, told them that they would they would they could be guaranteed to receive at least one phone call a day from a nurse mm. and at least one phone call a day from a doctor. Mm. But that was it. So like that was their lifeline into wow. the hospital setting to figure out how their loved one was doing. So when a chaplain picks up the phone and calls and speaks to that next of kin and is not just giving information like the doctors and nurses were, but we're actually asking, like, how are you cope? How are you doing with this? How can we be caring for you in this extremely difficult situation where you're separated from somebody that you love very much and are very worried about? Those conversations on the phone and that support that we're able to offer um, families has been really well received. So we make those calls inside the nurses station so that also the healthcare team feels still connected to us. They see that we're reaching out to the patient families. We're making phone calls into the patient rooms when there's any sort of kind of suspected, maybe we shouldn't go in there. But again, we're doing that from the nurses station. So the the whole team is, is seeing kind of our presence still very felt there, but the one-on-one interaction with patients and family is happening a lot over the phone. Some video, some of our ICUs are equipped with a lot of new technology and innovation where the TV screens in the patient rooms, the healthcare team is able to kind of somehow digitally 
get everyone connected. The family can see the patient off the patient TV, really? the healthcare teams on another <laughs> device. And there's like this three way um, virtual ability to be able to hospital, be with each hospital other. zoom. Yeah. <laughs> and so some of the more significant um, sacramental things have happened via that um, maybe some last rites by one of our, by our priest mm. or, um, or just saying some prayers. If, if a family has made a decision to withdraw the mechanical support, then we try our best to gather everyone by video wow. to be able to offer those, those words and those prayers. We call it a service of letting go mm-hmm. and, um, and are able to do that more visually with that video capability to help families have a meaningful sacred moment that they can see and not just hear over the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the it's things. Oh, go ahead, Bob. When you, stop and, when you stop and think about it, for decades, uh, in hospital ministry particularly, our whole paradigm for ministry has been face-to-face, yes. skin-to-skin, you know, looking you in the eye. And in a matter of weeks, we have had to shift our entire way of doing ministry so that it wasn't dependent on physical presence. And, you know, I, I will say this about, about the spiritual care team at Houston Methodist because it's, I have been so amazed at their ability to rethink, reimagine, and execute on ways of doing ministry that, frankly, we knew we were going to have to get around to doing more stuff digitally. We've known that for a long time. But this pushed us into doing this in a way that uh, I think, frankly, in the long run, is going to extend spiritual care in the hospital. I mean, I'm looking forward, as I imagine Stacy and her team are too, we're looking forward to being able to do these things in person again because yeah. we think that's excellent. But I also think we're learning some things right now that will change us for the good mm. for decades to come. So Bob and I uh, have have met, had lunch sometimes, and I used to, we exchange book ideas to read. And so there's one that I just started, Who Do We Choose to Be by Margaret Wheatley. And are you familiar with it? Have you read it? So it's, it's, uh, I think it's fascinating. It was kind of written a little, it was before all this, but in the midst of the chaos and all the change. And one of the things that she said is it's chaos that forces us into, we really hold the line so that nothing changes or we're forced to change, that we don't really yeah. choose to change. And yeah. we're doing yeah. the same things at Chapelwood. We've, before all of this COVID and coronavirus, we were talking about how do you change doing ministry in the world, thinking about <laughs> the second half of the 21st century. That's how right. do you, you know, people come to That's church right. less and, <laughs> and they, they attendance less often and all this sort of stuff. How do you reach out to where people are? Well, guess what? Chaos now has caused us to turn on every single facet of this where we would have phased in and tried things slowly. Now it's from children's ministry to youth ministry to senior adults to pastoral care. And so it sounds like that's exactly, we're all in this boat together of things we haven't to turn on and learn how to do in the moment. Well, one of the the ways I've seen us do that is It's something so simple, but we were not doing this before. We were always trying to figure out how to reach 
are thousands of employees that are not patient facing, uh. right? So our chaplains are in patient facing areas where they have access to a chaplain daily. There's somebody rounding through there. They're doing prayer huddles. They're doing all these things to connect with the staff. But you've got thousands of people in labs and in back offices and running this hospital in ways that the chaplains don't have the access to them. So we've been doing video reflections and we're able to push those out to the all 26,000 employees before. Well, we've never done that. And we were like not thinking that way right now. And I, I think hopefully we would have gotten there. But to your point, like that forced us to yeah. say, like, we got to try some things that we've never tried before. And I got my iPhone out and recorded myself doing a, you know, a three minute video reflection that's been been pushed out to all 26,000 employees. And you get these responses back from people in all these different places of the institution that have never had that connection with a spiritual, you know, one of the spiritual caregivers in our hospital before. So there are some really neat things that are changing. And, you know, to Stacy's point about the video reflection, you know, Methodist Hospital is very particular about the way it likes things presented, you know, for, for public consumption. And in some ways, this has really freed spiritual care. I'll just speak for spiritual care, but um, it's really freed us up to try some new things. Like Stacy said, I mean, she and I both whipped out our iPhones and we've done some video reflections. We would have never done this before. We would have had, you know, try to have it produced, try to have a nice script, to have a good background. Well, now... We're having to do it kind of raw, but what's interesting is it has the feel of the real. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have Stacy talking about her son. You, you have me in, in our backyard talking about things that I've learned you know, in the garden that are applicable to our life together as a team. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and you have our workplace chaplain you know, filming things in her house. It's just really interesting how uh, it's challenged us to try new things uh, just sort of fresh. I think it's, it's, fr- it's from us, the presenters, but it's also the receivers. And now yeah. everyone is receiving everything remotely and digitally. Yeah. And yeah. so your receptivity, you know, we're, we're the same way. Everything we do is polished and presented. And look, we even have a, neon sign for our, <laughs> and a you know, faux brick wall <laughs> and a fake brick wall. I mean, you know, so we're, we're, I, I, I get that exactly. Yeah. But now it's like shooting videos in my backyard as the, as a weekly update. Yeah. It, there's more authenticity and people are far more receptive. Yes. I think they're hungrier for that yes. than a polished video. Yes. Yeah. I agree because then they get a sense of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it's interesting stuff. Also, Stacy alluded to this, but we just this year we've tried something totally different um, by having a dedicated chaplain for the workplace, our employees who are not patient facing, and a chaplain who is dedicated to our physicians organization, who focuses on our physicians, our medical residents, and the physician organization staff. And this is an, another way, particularly right now in a time of crisis, when we are learning at, at Houston Methodist to, to reach into patient uh, employee populations that we've never 
that we've never had before, that we've never addressed before, and finding needs that we've never yeah. found before. And so these are challenging times, but I, I am pleased that we've had the courage to look in places that we've not looked before. You got a question? So, so y'all are in a really intense kind of place and are discovering, as you say, some pretty amazing things. What are, what are some, um, what are some maybe tips or, or insights that you can give um, to the, to folks maybe in our congregation or other congregations in terms of just their own spiritual care during this time? Um, what would you say to folks that are struggling with their own sense of either having loved ones that are in nursing homes or folks that are, they know that are in different cities far away or watching things on the television that they feel absolutely powerless over? Um, what would you say as kind of spiritual care professionals to those folks? I'll say a few things. And then I, I think Bob has some, we, he has some good ideas for that too. <laughs> Um, the first thing that comes to mind when I hear you ask that question, I think, is for people to to name and re- really name this collective grief that we are all experiencing. I think what I've learned in these past few weeks is that that's the thing that when I'm in these one-on-one conversations with Maybe a nurse who is self-isolating at home. I got a call a couple of weeks, a couple of Fridays ago from a nurse just in tears. And she had come home from her shift and was choosing to self-isolate because she was living with her parents and she didn't want to put her parents at risk. And she just felt so alone and so afraid and so scared. And throughout that conversation, what I helped her name was probably 10 different things that she was she that she had lost in these past oh. few weeks that had been lost because there was a lost sense of security the loss of relationship with her parents who were just in another room but she wasn't able to sit on the couch next to them and so everything that we identified was an a loss that she was experiencing Mm -hmm. and when i helped her frame it and helped her see what she was experiencing as a deep sense of grief that helped her kind of be able to figure out ways to cope better and move forward with that because we had helped name the reality and i think that's a i think that a lot of people get that and i think a lot of people don't and so i just my encouragement is to just for people to look at this through the lens of grief in a lot of scenarios and be able to normalize that for each other and normalize all the different feelings that come with grief the anger of missing out on things um, the sadness of missing out on things, the disillusion of like feeling so disoriented, like everything's different. I don't understand what, what this is in my life is right now. Like all that disorientation and that frustration and the questioning of God and all of this, like those are all very typical grief responses. Yeah. And to, to another response to your question, I think, a good response for for people like you described it's a combination of inreach and outreach i don't remember who the first the famous person who said this but the cure for loneliness is solitude and i think right now when we're forced to be more isolated than we're accustomed to being it's a really good time to reach inward 
and find the ways that you can experience God there. I think one of the things that's come clear to me in this time of COVID is how deeply God loves us. Hmm. And even, even when we see all these really difficult, bad things happening around us, God loves each one of us profoundly. And I think this is an opportunity for us to look inward through prayer, through scripture reading, through meditation, to explore those depths of God's love for us. And I think this gives us a window to do that. And the, the, the outreach part uh, is to, to really take initiative right now. Um, phone people that you haven't talked to in a while. Check in on them. Um, welcome people who are checking in on you. Uh, find ways. I've been so encouraged to see people walking the streets with their with their kids on bicycles, walking their dogs, speaking to their neighbors. I mean, let's capitalize on this because those kinds of things are deeply nourishing to us and and to others. So I, those two things, I think, the inreach and the outreach, I think, are really we have a, a prime opportunity to do that right now. One of the th- you talk about solitude, which is a, an ancient Christian discipline. Mm. And in our culture, sometimes it's like we can deal with our stuff to a point. Yeah. And then when we get to that point where it's really raw and it hurts, we can, uh, we can sort of turn our attention to, well, let's go shopping. Well, let's go out with some friends. Or let me do this or let me yes. do that. Or let me get away. I can run away from it. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever the term is for that, just, just disassociate from that. And I never have to deal with it. Now I think we're being forced to where we get down to that level again. And instead of looking around thinking, okay, where, where are my outlets you don't have access to yeah. any of your outlets. Yeah, they've all been shut off. And so I think it's scary. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea of silence and solitude is is old Christian tradi- uh, disciplines for us and our spirituality. Mm-hmm. That Those are scary things. And that's why, you know, there's a part of us as the church, we want to overperform. Mm-hmm. We feel the need like yeah. we have to do all these things. We have yeah. to be there. We have to provide all this stuff. And some of it is is not giving people the space to just kind of sit you know what I mean? That's right. And be yeah. present. That's mm-hmm. really good. Some of us were talking the other day about how in a strange sort of a, a, um, an unexpected, mm-hmm. unintended way, this for some people has become a Sabbath, a long Sabbath. And it's well documented how the earth is beginning to experience a Sabbath um, through, you know, the, the, the air clearing, you know, uh, nature encroaching on us more than or no, us noticing it more. Mm-hmm. And I do think that this is an opportunity for us to experience Sabbath, which is, as I said, odd, because there are others, particularly in healthcare and first responders and others that are, are working at a frantic yeah. pace yeah. And, and have no sense of Sabbath at all right now. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. It, I, I remember Barbara Brown Taylor said one time that if you don't cultivate a rhythm of Sabbath, your illness becomes your induced Sabbath. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, talk, talk about how are the front line, uh, I mean, the doctors, I know so many people, I mean, these are, these are now the heroes on the news and you, and you guys are the, there as yeah, well with right. spiritual care. 
But all of you that the, the doctors, the nurses on the front line, I know in Houston, we might not have seen the same sort of stuff as New York or Detroit or some of these other thank cities. Yeah. Well, thank God. Yeah. 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 And, and hopefully that will continue to be the case. But still, we're getting a sense of people who are on the front lines of dealing with this illness. And there's still the risk that it's highly contagious. They could get it. How, how are you finding that? our critical frontline people are holding up during these days? So my, uh, what I would say to that is I'm experiencing our frontline workers to be kind of extremely resilient through this. And I would imagine at some point we're going to have to pick up the pieces at the end of the day. But if you walk into like some our critical ICUs, um, the the focus and the kind of kind of almost eerie quietness because people are so extremely focused on what they're doing and being so careful. Mm. The ways that they have to put on and take off that PPE is extremely kind of technical and time consuming. They have to be very purposeful and how they're thinking about, okay, if I'm going to put this on, what am I going to do when I go into the room so that I can maximize the most out of this inner interaction with the patient. Um, and they are, a lot of them, I think are being very um, just kind of to themselves and reserved and like, I'm in the zone. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not, they're not, ch- you know, they're, uh, they're not wanting to chit chat. You know, a lot of times our rounding with people on staff is kind of catching them when they're at their computer stations, documenting and checking in and seeing how their family is and, and really kind of getting a heartbeat as to how their day is going. Well, this is, this is very different. (laughs) This is like, not that you want, you can't, we're not neglecting them, but you're giving them their space to be able to do their work in a very serious way. And so we're having to find ways to create separate kind of sacred spaces for them. So for an example, in one of the ICUs, um, for like a day at a time, we'll go and we'll take over like their break room and create a tea for the soul. We call it tea for the soul environment where we Mm -hmm. take in um, hot tea and chocolate and soft music and all these things. And we try to create, we, the leadership really encourages people to take particular time out of their day to just go and sit and be in this space. And sometimes the chaplain's in there um, as a sounding board. And sometimes when you get in, when you actually get in there and they, they kind of let their guard down, I think a lot of what we're hearing is just a, the fear. A lot of them care so much about their family and they feel like what they're doing here, they're so scared that they're putting their family at risk when they mm-hmm. go home at night. Some of them have expressed that they have had to be, they're separated from their family right now because they've wanted to protect them at such a high level that their spouse and their children have moved into a different residence or they are staying in a different space so they could just be by themselves. So the sacrifices that they're experiencing in their own personal family lives, I think are just tremendous right now. And, um, and I think every chance we get, we're trying to find ways to connect and allow them to kind of speak about that so that it's not just getting built up and bottled up. But quite frankly, I mean, it is harder to, to connect with them 
in moments like this right now because mm-hmm. they're just so focused on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I do think that what Stacy describes is calling on the chaplains to use their intuitive skills to a very high degree, as well as draw on every bit of pastoral experience they have to know how to be available and present without becoming an intrusion because it it's it is that's a very fine line to walk and i have found that most of the people in our hospital system they want to be cared for and they want people to inquire about how they're doing and they want to receive support but they really don't have time for a long sit down lunch they just don't and so there's that walking that fine line calls, I think, for a lot of intuitiveness yeah. and skill yeah. on the chaplain's part. Yeah. It almost seems like that it's more wartime chaplaincy that you are being called to do than it is hospital chaplaincy, you know, in that these folks are are so focused, so particular in, um, in their attention right now, and yeah. that your access to them at those times is really through the cracks, not through kind of space that they're able to step away. Um, For sure. That's a great, that's a great illustration because I, I wouldn't affirm that. Well, we, we're fortunate on our team to have at least two former military chaplains. Mm-hmm. And right now, they have been drawing consciously on their yeah. combat yeah. and military experience. So now, okay, this, this is how we would do this. This is how we would stage this. Wow. This is how we would address a need that we had to talk. We had to do care for 100 people at a time. This is how we would do it. And that's been very informative for us. Mm, wow. That's neat. Mm. You know, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go. I was just going to I was just going to share another experience of where chaplains are also empowering staff mm. to be spiritual caregivers in a way now that is probably unprecedented um especially in these isolated covid rooms where we aren't going um but we the staff are we're realizing that a patient may be moving to end of life and maybe their family it's really important for them to experience certain things and to maybe have the priest at the door um saying saying final prayers or things like that um and how the staff are really turning to us and saying like tell me what I could say. Tell me a prayer that I can mm. pray when I walk into the room. Um, how can I, how can I help express and carry what y'all are doing out here into the room? And a very specific example that happened last week was a family. This patient was at end of life within hours and a family was begging us over the phone that um, to, to baptize the patient because he had been talking about wanting to be baptized, but hadn't ever been baptized before. And that she just knew if he was moving towards end of life, that this is something that he would want. Mm. And we had to use kind of our pastoral authority and intuition to say, how can we best care for this family at this end of life moment? And so um, the, the care team and the chaplain kind of huddled at the door Um, The chaplain had some water that they said prayers and blessed the water. 
the family was on the phone listing, the family was in Louisiana, so couldn't be here um, at this end of life. Cause there are some exceptions being made for some end of life um, sure, in some sure. situations for family to come up, but they had the family on the phone. The chaplain was blessing the water and saying prayers of baptism over this with the nurse, the, the nurse present. And then the nurse took the holy water that had been baptized into the patient's room and put the water on the patient's head and said the words of baptism over that patient and carried that in there. And that nurse clearly had never done that before and couldn't believe that that was part of what he was doing as, as the caregiver of that patient that day. And the impact that that made on the family, and I can't help but think the patient too, knowing that the patient died a few hours later, is something that, um, that's just an example of how we're experiencing doing ministry in a very different way, but still trying to be led by the Spirit and allow the Spirit to work in ways that may be way beyond our imagination right now. Isn't that a, a fabulous <laughs> example of not only, I think, pastoral ingenuity, but the teamwork. And don't, I mean, can you just imagine the experience that that nurse had? Yeah. I mean, that, that nurse, I guarantee, will not ever forget that. Yeah. And because in that moment, that nurse was not only the a physical, but a spiritual healer in collaboration with our department. And I, to me, that's just a magnificent example yeah. of the best of what we're doing. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's so funny that now you if if you if you pay attention, like in the Twitter sphere, you know where all the idiots live, and <laughs> uh, the, all these debates about whether or not you should have communion online, right. or whether or not you should do this, or this is all these rules. It's like, you know, that's the one great thing about God when it comes to sacrament is that the word itself is a mystery. A mystery. Yeah. It's yeah. mysterious. And, and you know, I think it's a, a point of grace, actually. Yeah. That there have been so many religious holidays right in the thick of this. Hmm. That in the middle of this, we I mean, we were approaching our peak time during Holy Week of all times. All right. And then we had Passover. And now we're getting ready for Ramadan. Yeah. And and so it's like all these spiritualities have these high holy days in the thick of this event. And I think it's bringing spiritual yeah. spirituality and spiritual power to the fore in yeah. a very sharp way. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so as professional chaplains, we're not just ministering to Christians. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, <laughs> Stacy and I have, have both have been in dialogue with people from the Hindu tradition and that, that function in our system. Okay. How, how can how can the space be made for that spirituality, even though it's very different from our own? Mm. How can we collaborate with with our Muslim colleagues? What do we do when we, one of our patients is Muslim and dies? So what this is 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 doing? It's drawing on the the book learning that we've gotten about these different traditions, but it's also inviting us, calling on us to collaborate with these other clergy people in the community to say, okay, one of your congregants is here. This is what we've done so far. Help us know how to serve them better. And so we're, 
And so we're, we're actively drawing on these community partners to give good spiritual care across a wide spiritual spectrum. I love I love that um, as as Methodists, um, particularly the way that they understand it in in Europe, is that we are called to the care of all souls, not just our congregation, but all yes. souls in the parish that we are operating in. And I and I see that out of what y'all are doing is is caring for all souls. And there's this deep yeah. kind of um, communion of the saints that happens in that space too, where then yeah. kind of the revelation of God's spirit as it as it unfolds and particularly in really, um, really tough situations that y'all are having to make decisions, not based on a book, but based on where the movement of the spirit is, is leading y'all. And so that in that instance, that nurse becomes a pastor. Yes. You know, she becomes the ordained one because the spirit standing with a person that's dying uh, as the ordained one. I, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's beautiful. Hey, look out. You're starting to sound kind of Baptist there. <laughs> no, I, I'm starting to sound more like a Methodist. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I, I do agree with you about uh, that. Yeah. I, I agree with you about that. Yeah. What, what do you, uh, I, one of the things I know I've got, and, and it wasn't a COVID uh, death, but mm. one of this thing, one of the things that has happened is a, a young woman who was in one of my previous churches, um, was messaging with me. Her father was at the end of life and she lives in a different city. She was unable to travel because of the stay at home and there's travel restrictions. And how, how are you talking with the families and, and what, how are you, what, what advice or counsel or resources do you give to families that are facing these issues, not just that if they have a family member who's yeah. diagnosed with coronavirus, but we also have a lot of family members who have parents in nursing homes they cannot visit, right. or they have someone who's gone into the hospital for a heart condition or for some other condition and they can't visit, or they're very seriously ill with some something else even. But this is really a different situation where people are afraid to not be able to gather. And, and the other part of that I think is connected is we're going through a situation in the church and you're probably seeing this as well, that if someone passes away, whether it's the coronavirus or something else, people are not able to gather together as they normally would and grieve together. Yeah. So they're isolated. We, you know, we've only had one uh, memorial funeral service of less than 10 people gathered at social distancing because that's the only way we're able to do it at all. So a lot of people are putting these Funerals or memorial services off, which mm-hmm. is another part of the difficulty for difficulty. them to be able to grieve. So I guess just in the grieving of not being there with your family member, of not being able to gather to support even the family to support each other. Yeah. What, what, what right. are you finding with that? So I'll sh- I want to share one one thing, and then Bob can speak on another. But um, one so a few weeks ago, one of our nurses it was found out that three of her family members within about a five day period had died from COVID Mm -hmm. and she was unable to travel to go and be with her family. And, um, this kind of call from her direct report came to me directly and said, is there any, can you help me? You know, I, I am hearing the, the grief that this, um, nurse is experiencing. And so, we connected with her. And one of the things that Bob and I were um, 
or I, I had tuned into this kind of nationwide um, chaplaincy WebEx that was talking about this kind of this um, needing to have creative ways to hold funerals and memorial services and things like that. And mm. um, one of the things that, and I had just watched that and I had one of the takeaways for me was that there are a lot of people who are saying, okay, if we have a loved one die now, we will just wait and gather in the summer when we can all get together and be together. Cause that's how, you know, so-and-so would want us to all be together and have this big celebration of life. But that one of the worst things that we can do and that our souls are actually just not fit to do is yeah. to wait. Yeah. To put that off. Um, and so we have to find create. Yes. We have to find ways to yes. to take a moment and to be have sacred space and time to be able to honor that loved one. And if it is if it's getting on Zoom and doing that with a family, um, maybe that's it. But in the case of this nurse, um, because I was so convicted to try to give her that space to be able to to honor the people that she loves so much. Um, we, uh, one of the chaplains met with her over the phone and learned, asked questions, learned about these loved ones who had died and created about a 15 minute service of remembrance for mm. her three loved ones. And um, here in our chapel in the hospital, that nurse and her supervisor and the chaplain came down about two days later and um, they had a service of remembrance and we, they lit candles and they celebrated and named those loved ones and read scripture and sang a song and um, had a service for those people that she loved. And was, she was not gathered with her family. We understand that. Yes. And she was missing being able to gather with her family to do that. But personally, she was able to take the next steps forward in accepting what had happened because she had had this really sacred time to be able to to speak the names of those loved ones and to read that scripture and to have that, that sacred moment. So mm. I would say encouraging people to fig, find ways to honor that now, and yeah. you can still have celebrations later when you can get together in person, but our, our souls just aren't designed to, to wait, mm. um, to be able to honor and to acknowledge that, that loss in our life. Mm. That's a good word. That's really good. I, I think to to that point, one of the things that we've had to learn to do in professional chaplaincy right now is to learn to do spiritual and emotional first aid. Where there's maybe not time to do a very a prolonged, in-depth intervention, but we have to do something that stops the bleeding right now. And what, I, what I'm hearing, what I think would be helpful for people such as you described, is, is to do something, even if it's small, mm -hmm. to acknowledge the loss and to give them a chance to grieve. Mm -hmm. Maybe if, if you're a friend of the person that's had, that's had this bereavement experience, maybe you do call them, but maybe you also follow that up with, with a letter, something that where, where you're reaching out and you're remembering a story about that person. But so maybe there's not time to do the full board grieving like you want to do. But I agree with Stacy. This is, this doesn't, it will just fester. It's got to be addressed mm -hmm. somehow. So encourage people to reach out either by Zoom or by letter or by phone call 
or or to just find somebody that they can talk to. Uh, I, but I think that's what mm-hmm. I think that's the kind of simple interventions that are needed right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. at least when when you have a death in the church and you visit with the family, you gather the family together and you'll meet either here at the office or at their house. And as you, you're, you're planning the service, but you're also telling stories and you're talking about right, right. their That's life. Right. And, right. and those are things that, you know, the service may get put off, but there's those aspects of it don't need to be put off. Yeah. And I would right. encourage families not to put those things off. Yeah. You know, the service may be in July, but, but that, that event of, like you said, gathering everybody together on Zoom or whatever to tell those stories, uh, it, that's a, that I, I find the, the, the funerals are always an important part of ministry, yeah. but those visits at homes with the family together, making the plans yeah. and telling the stories, I think is almost equal to the ministry that happens in the actual service yeah. Yeah. itself. Okay. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. One of the things that I am just beginning to learn sideways, sort of through our, some of our employees, yeah. some of our, our younger employees, particularly for some meeting by Zoom and interacting like we're interacting right now, for some of them is actually preferable and is more freeing than a face-to-face visit. And one of the things that I think some chaplains are learning is that sometimes in this kind of a format that has a little distance to it, people share more than they might in Mm -hmm. face-to-face contact. Because you can wear your pajama bottoms. Exactly. <laughs> and no one knows. I mean, that's there's something but, freeing right, about that. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's just a new a new world. Uh, yeah, I find it interesting that y'all are creating, and it seems like, um, um, particularly Stacy, as you and Bob both talk about your interactions with folks that are in deep grief, that as like the large rituals are being um, taken away in a sense, or at least put on pause, we're not able to enter into them, that you are innovating new rituals that still give space for both community, for grief, for lament. And, um, right. and I, I found that for, for me, particularly like walking through Holy week up to Easter was probably one of the, the deepest times I've had in a long time because emotionally I was deeply present. Right. Um, but I was mm-hmm. also hungry for, um, um, these, these rituals, um, that put us together. And I realized that we're not able to do that. So there's that tension, right? There's these yeah. these rituals that we need, but we can't enter into. And then the need to innovate new rituals that um, allow us to do that. Hmm. Well, and it's kind of, I mean, again, the crisis has kind of given permission yeah. for some of these things to happen. Um, another good example of that is just, Um, I huddle with about 60 other leaders in the hospital every day at at 1110. And the purpose of the huddle is, was face-to-face. We were in a conference room. We met every single day um, to just talk about any patient satisfaction issues that maybe we could try to resolve real quick in this 20 minute huddle that we were all together. And um, every once in a while, they would ask me to, you know, say a brief word of reflection to close the meeting or say a prayer or something like that. And I would always do it whenever it was, re- when it's asked of me, but now we've moved these huddles to web kind of on, on WebEx or just conference call. And 
every single call for the last three and a half weeks, I have ended the call with a brief reflection and or just a a prayer every day. And so the leaders of this hospital are, you know, this new ritual has been created through, through this that, you know, I don't know if I could have forced, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it would have happened before. And right. now I feel like I have gotten the, the comments from several people that have said, when this is all over, I hope that you will still end every single meeting that we have every day with mm-hmm. a prayer, because mm-hmm. that that's what's helping keep us mm-hmm. grounded in what we're doing here. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, there's been some beautiful, beautiful things that have come out of this too. Yeah. I, I, I want to say this about Houston Methodist. I, mm-hmm. I, I've worked here a really long time, and it's it's easy for me to kind of start sounding like the Chamber of Commerce for Methodist, but I do think this is an important thing to say right now. It's been remarkable to me across our system how the spirit of collaboration mm-hmm. between spiritual care and other departments has really fostered a spiritual environment of caring in across our system. We have partnered actively with human resources, with organizational development, with wellness, with the Center for Performing Arts Medicine. I mean, there have been all these avenues where over years we've cultivated these positive relationships. And now when we're kind of in the fire, We've been able to draw on these relationships so that we're not, you know, we're building on stuff that's been in place a long time. And so that's opened doors of collaboration that I think are quite remarkable. And so as we've sort of alluded to earlier, spiritual care has not been just located in the chaplain's department. It has been found in numerous places, numerous departments across the system because we believe collectively in these eye care values and we believe collectively in the spiritual nature of our work. And so and that's been very gratifying to see. And that's from a Baptist. And it is from a Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> There's hope. <laughs> he, yes. he went Chamber of Commerce on Houston Methodist, straight I from know, the Baptist. Uh, hey, what's uh, all right? So I, I don't. I, I know you guys and, and gals have lots of work to do, and we won't keep you much longer. But I guess the one thing: what's the what's the biggest challenge that you're facing, either personally or as chaplains right now? And what what's one way that people can be the most supportive of you, or the, yeah. be the most helpful if if someone was looking for some way, something specifically to pray for, or some way that they could be helpful for spiritual care uh, staff at the hospital? So I've never been so worried about the health of my chaplains on this team. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I find myself praying every day, every night I go to bed that as they walk into this space and have such an important role in caring for the spiritual life of, of our leaders and our frontline workers that as they're kind of in the midst of that, that they, they remain healthy. Um, and just that God will really undergird them and carry them through this. So, you know, that's what, that's if there was something that kind of kept me up at night, it's just being so Mm. worried, I think about 
the team. I mean, in the role that I'm in right now, I sit in my office and go from conference call to conference call to conference call and one-on-one meetings with the chaplains to, so they have a space to kind of come and check in and debrief how mm. they're, you know, what they're experiencing and being a real pastor to the chaplains is, is my role here, which is a very beautiful role. But, um, but the ones that are really out there um, putting themselves at risk too for um, potentially being exposed to the virus. I, I just continue to pray for their health and and think that that's that is a, a big prayer to be praying right now. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I guess from my perspective, it, to the the need for patience and endurance. Because, you know, a lot of people have talked about this not being a sprint, but a marathon. And I think right now, when we're approaching what I hope is the peak of our COVID experience, people are eager for this to be over with. And it's not going to be over with for a while. And so I pray that we will be patient and stay the healthy kind of course that we've been diligent about. Mm. And I'm praying that we will be patient and and ride the curve back down and not let up and 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 a sense of endurance because this is incredibly wearing i mean you know this as 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 pastors of the church it's incredibly emotionally wearing to have these levels of anxiety that, that that are lived with day after day after day after day and I'm praying for endurance that we will hang in there and that we will find ways to stay afloat, keep our nose above water. And, you know, one of the things that Stacy and I were talking about last week that, that I think is really important to keep our eyes on Jesus, hmm. not, not on our weakness, not on our brokenness, not on our failings or how we've fallen short hmm. because we have. But right now, the important thing is to keep our eyes on Jesus, and Jesus will guide us through this. I believe that to the soles of my feet, and I believe Stacy does too. Amen. So I pray for it, for patience and endurance. Amen. Well, I know last week I, I preached on John 11, well, on Easter, and it just it, it amazed me that Jesus, you know, he, he ministers to Martha, and then he ministers to Mary, and they each have their own things they bring, whether it's some blaming or some anger in the grief or whether it's just the deep grief and the weeping. And, but then when he gets to the, he, he walks into the domain of death. He walks up to the tomb. And, you know, the things that frighten us, the things that terrorize us and terrorize disciples, they don't frighten Jesus. And he's able to enter into the domain of death uh, there, at, whether it be the mm-hmm. tomb of Lazarus or even facing his own suffering death and an ultimate in the tomb that he's faced. And I think that that's where Jesus is most present is in the domain of death. And he's able to do that because there is a light and a life of resurrection that he brings to all of us. And so I just commend you two and all of your chaplains. I hope you'll let everybody know how much we are all praying for you and for all of them that, that sometimes I think you forget that there's a whole lot of people out there, not just Methodists, but Christians everywhere that realize the good work you're doing. Mm-hmm. And last week when we closed, we had a prayer with uh, Mark Boom. And could we have a prayer with y'all today as well? 
Matt, would, you. would you pray for them? I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, let's pray. Oh God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would sustain my brother, my sister, and their teams over this time. I pray that um, where they are at right now, that they would experience the sunlight of your spirit and that you would fill them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. I pray that, that you would give them courage where they need courage, insight and intuition uh, where they need that. I pray that you would sustain them, that you would defend them on every side, and that you, O oh God, would be their shield and their protector. Um, I pray that you would give them the words to say exactly when they need to say it, and when they need to stay silent, that you would give them that strength as well. I pray that you would give them endurance for these days, that in these endurance, in these, in these times, God, that, uh, that you would allow them not to give up and that they would stay the course. Uh, and God, that you would give them deep patience, a patience that comes from your peace and from you who stands among the dead and call out the living. And so I pray, God, that you would root them in, um, um, in who they are in you. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Hey, thank, thank you too thank for you all much. you do and your leadership. And please, yeah. please tell everybody, all the chaplains, how much we appreciate all the work that you, they're doing. Thank God bless you. y'all. Thank y'all for thank the invitation. Y'all stay strong. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll be praying Bye. for you. Bye. Bye. For me, this thing has gotten going and it's been, what, three, four weeks now. It's starting to all run together. But everything was moving up like, uh, you know, towards, it's like, it's like Bob said, everything happened in this unique, significant, holy season for all these, you know, whether it's Christianity and Lent and Holy Week and, or Judaism and Passover coming yeah. up, you know, all these things, it's like this pinnacle. So everything has been working towards Easter. Yeah. I mean, in my mind. Yeah. And now Easter is done and I'm going, okay, Let's, uh, we're done with the coronavirus. Okay, let's get on we with did it. did <laughs> Easter. Now let's get back to the way. Th and, and then you hear, it's like, okay, well, this may be a lot longer, especially big crowds. You know, businesses may open up. People may go back to work in small pockets small here and there, but mm -hmm. large groupings of people. And then you go, and then, and then you enter into, I don't know, I can only speak for me, but it's almost like, really? It's this sort of depressing. And at the same time, it's like, okay, we're going to endure. Yeah. We're going to endure because we're going to get through this. That's right. We know That's that right. this will not last, but for a season. That's right. I think on the other side of Easter, you know, we, we have these stories about like Thomas and Jesus showing Thomas his wounds and then finding the presence of God in the wounds, right? And then mm -hmm. the liturgical years moves into ordinary time in a little while. And it's like, oh, I don't want this to be ordinary time. You know, but still we're called to um, be patient, to endure, to continue on uh, and to love people and to meet the needs of our community. I, I think of it like just the first Easter. Can you imagine the, was there was all the fear and the uncertainty and locked yeah. behind the room and then he's there and it's like, then you've got him. It's like Easter, yay, he's risen. <laughs> then he goes to heaven and it's like, dude, what, what do the, we do now? What, what, <laughs> now, it's like now the long road is ahead of yeah. you of the work of the kingdom. That's right. And you, you don't get the, 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 the celebration of Easter every day. Now it's being sent out into the world to do what you do. And that's, that's what, that's why I feel a sense of strength and it's, it's not resignation in a negative way, but it's resignation. Uh, when you're running a marathon and you know, okay, I've just pushed through the first rush. Now I've got to settle in. We got a long way to go and we're going to make it. Yep. And we're just going to, we're going to steady pace it. And there is a finish line. We don't know exactly where it is yet, but it's there. But it's there. Amen. Amen. I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy.